sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and Dan is with me again for this one. Dan, how are we? I'm great, thank you very much. How are you? I bet you are. We, yes. we, uh, we, we met this past week. We did, time. we did. People will have seen us online. We finally met face to face in the the passionate romantic city of London, Dan. There was a slow motion run. <laughs> there was, yeah, just because I was carrying that bag at weighed down. <laughs> um, and we got to meet up with our uh, friends and colleagues uh, from up more friends, aren't they? Although we we work together now, as we call it, uh, Vinny, Dave, uh, and Graham as well from UAP Media. Had a great time. Got to meet Ryan Sprague on uh, Friday night for some drinks. And then, as you will have seen, no doubt, we got to meet up with Lou Elizondo for uh, lunch on the Saturday. Nothing super top secret, folks. It genuinely wasn't the, the, um, some of the stuff that people were coming out with. Uh, Lou was over for some like, private stuff. Again, I don't think it was anything for folk to get excited about. It was over with his good lady wife. And he, he offered to give us a little bit of his time to come and say hello. Um, we've obviously been speaking now for some time. And it was nice of him to do that, Dan, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If anyone would like to know some secret information, the only thing we have to share is Lou is a whiskey guy. Yeah, and uh, Dan's going to create a new NFT all about the Roswell bodies that you were showing, <laughs> uh, aren't you? Yeah, oh, shouldn't have said that one. But yeah, no, thanks for everyone being very nice about it. And people were like super nice about us getting to meet Lou and really happy for us. And uh, one of the listeners on Patreon had mentioned, Dan, that uh, we got to shake Sinatra's hand. So we had to record a breaking news pod about it. But listen, what we're kind of going to do going forward is we call a lot of the update pods breaking news because sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But we like to do the kind of weekly updates and stuff anyway. These pods are, are going to be more of a breakdown going forward. So it's more of a breakdown of, of some kind of news. And and this one is going to be on the Cut Dry Mungo Theories of Everything talk with Lou Elizondo from the, the 22nd of October, I think it was recorded. Uh, that's what we're going to do on this one. There still will be breaking news pods, but if there is breaking news. Um, and I know one person was a little bit titchy about calling stuff breaking news when it had broken a couple of days earlier when we never got to record it straight away so this is definitely more of a, a breakdown of a lot of really cool stuff that was talked about on that interview and i suppose people might be a little bit more interested on our takes on this than given we got to speak to lou on saturday um has anything changed for us off the back of what lou had talked about with kurt the first time probably not a whole lot um maybe getting to speak to him face-to-face and hearing things being clarified a little or getting some context on stuff. I can rest assured no national security secrets were shared, but it just gives you a bit of a, a re- reaffirmation of some things you maybe thought already. But um, first off, uh, Kurt Mungo, wonderful interview with Lou, two and a half hours of, of an AMA. Um, Dan, what were your immediate thoughts? I, I really loved it. Um, I'm I'm blessed enough to be able to call Kurt a friend, and I, I think he does a really great job with his interviews. He he treads respectfully. He he treads knowing that he knows little, and, and I think we could all learn something from that. Um, Lou, Lou always likes people who are gracious like that. You you always like the Terry Verts interview, and I think that was the same kind of thing. Um, you, you know, there's a curiosity and a thoughtfulness to the questions, and, and that always brings about great answers. I'm glad you said Terry Verts because I have had so many listeners who have 
uh, listen to the YouTube shows where I mention that or listen to it on the podcast and they message me asking what the name of that person is because <laughs> of my pronunciation. They're never quite sure. It's always like, is it Terry Burks? Or t- <laughs> I'm not going to even say the different ways they, they think I say it. But yeah, it's Terry Verts. Uh, and I've I've put the links up before on that one anyway, but that was a really good one. And uh, again, Kurt being, well, it was funny, Dan, I think I was saying to you that, you know, or you had mentioned to me, Kurt isn't a UFO person, but I think you yourself had said he's now done about 10 interviews where the subject is UFOs. So there kind of comes a point he's, he's got to kind of classify himself as being at least a bit involved with the community. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean... There are different ways of classifying, I'm uh, saying you're part of a community, right? Um, You you know, a lot of people like certain bands' music, but they wouldn't say that they're fans of the band in general. I think it's that kind of thing. Um, Kurt is clearly interested in the subject. He's clearly following on. Um, Based on your interview with him, you know, he he, uh, is open-minded to a degree that you might not be. Uh, I remember it surprised you that you entertain some things that so didn't entertain some things that he did um yeah so we're going to get right into it folks we got a ton of listener suggestions thoughts and opinion from this interview as well uh, we'll kick off though with a few things that we want to talk about and then no doubt they'll bleed over into the listener suggestions anyway i think one of the things dan that jumped out for me uh, i think we're going to have some different stuff of our own highlights because i know we both focus on different things when it comes to this topic normally yeah. anyway uh which is always good that's why it works um now Kurt asked lou about a comment that tom DeLong had made about people shouldn't be doing ce5 because it's potentially dangerous um lou gave an analogy Well, what he said was, and I'll paraphrase this, Lou said that, you know, he's not entirely sure what Tom's talking about. I would take that with a pinch of salt. But he he said that he would always give any word of caution when it comes to uh, if you were a swimming pool attendant or you're an electrician, you know, you can get zapped with electricity. Then if you are exploding something as out there as ce5 or human initiated contact whatever you want to call it then you should be careful because do you truly know what we're dealing with when it comes to this um lou gave an analogy about being a an avid scuba diver and he enjoy uh, enjoys going around a nice coral reef and imagine swimming around the coral reef carrying a bag of freshly speared fish sorry for any fish fans out there i like my fish analogies but there's lou now carrying the bag of fish and he mentioned imagine given they've been freshly speared oh god this is getting graphic now that they would be bleeding and this could attract sharks now not all of those sharks are going to be dangerous to you but some of them might be so it's hard to know what you're going to attract so as Lou getting done at the fact there are potentially different forces, you know, it's nice you're attracting this little orb and this little orb might be flying about in the sky above you, but you don't know what else you might be bringing in. And I was thinking a little bit like when people mess about with Ouija boards or Ouija boards, if, if people want to hear that in the accent, like you don't necessarily know what you're dealing with completely. And it's quite a dangerous thing. I, I kind of took that away from, from Lou's comments. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. It, it's worth being safe. Um, I, I've mentioned before that in my experiences with, you know, I'll say CE5 because that's the brand name that everybody knows, but it's, you know, human initiated contact. Some people call it various other names. But I've got a sense of a kind of lanternfish. I, I think of that clipping Finding Nemo where they're in the dark at the bottom of the ocean and they see this light and they go towards it and they're transfixed and then these horrible teeth emerge behind them and it turns out that it's on this fish and it, it's a lure, basically. Um, and also when you were talking about your the, the fish analogy, it made me think of Steve Irwin, bless him, who went yeah. to a very, very comfortable area for him and... It was a species he was really, really familiar with, mm-hmm. very comfortable, and just one in a million chance he was, you know, killed by a stingray. No doubt that would have attracted lots of other predators and things like that as well when it happened. Um, so even even in the situations that we're familiar with, there's a degree of risk, and it doesn't mean that the stingray was evil or that it was good um, or that the other stingrays bring gifts and love and light. It just means that by their nature, 
they will act in a certain way. And there, there are hazards there that we have to consider. What you're saying there was the, the stingray was a threat, but the intent wasn't necessarily to harm, or just protect itself. And in doing so, it, it killed a guy who was very well versed at dealing with all sorts of animals and species and had, I mean, for a guy who literally wrestled crocodiles, you know, for a, for a stingray of all things to, to do that, then yeah. And I think that's what Lou was getting at for me. I, I've never practiced CE5. I've, I've said that before, Dan, I know you're a bit different, but it is just saying to people to be careful when you are messing about with anything like that, whether it's paranormal, the occult, you know, you, you don't necessarily know what you're dealing with completely. And that is, this is just a personal thing. Dan, you might feel totally different, but there's a lot of people out there who claim CE5 or human initiated contact, whatever you want to call it, is this all wonderful, all encompassing, really powerful experience and you're 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 reaching out and connecting no one on this planet can tell us exactly what they're doing when it comes to ce5 and knows exactly what's happening or why it's happening so i think you've absolutely got to have that degree of cautiousness if someone does come out and say they know exactly what it is and how it happens and why i think there's a huge amount of ego involved in that personally and it's absolutely should be proceed with caution yeah i i think so too we we know there are and i'm gonna say invisible forces in the world purely because that sounds woo but i'm wi-fi. talking about electromagnetic effects we use them to communicate like wi-fi like radio waves everything like that and they do at certain frequencies have effects on us we know that people have gone close to ufos we know they've had negative effects so all of these feelings of like euphoria and when you see a light in the sky feeling you, you know love that could simply be and i'm not saying it is but it could simply be something you know a a natural ability to disarm something's prey absolutely but yeah that was a really interesting one dan that jumped out for me um i'd like to know people's thoughts on it after the the pod anyway if you leave notes on patreon or twitter or email that would be fantastic dan anything before i go into my next one that jumped out for you uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna throw the dna thing up that that was my biggest thing um so Lou kind of turned the interview around and asked Kurt a question and insisted on Kurt answering because Kurt said that he needed time to think. And it was about sending a message into the future and how would you do it? And Kurt proposed the answer of taking one of these math materials, a super hard material, maybe popping it up in orbit um, and hoping that it lasts the test of time. And and Lou said, yep, you know, that's great. Um, but, you know, it could be hit out of orbit, the orbit will degrade, it would go away. You know, it, it made me think of what we propose, or sorry, what, what some of us think the pyramids may be in terms of kind of sending these messages through time. And mm-hmm. we, we do actually do similar things on the Hoover Dam. There's a star map. Uh, a friend of mine went there and they said, oh, what are all these dots on the floor? And I was able to tell them that's a star map. You know, if they find that in 5,000 years and the rest of us are gone that'll date when it was built and that'll you you know it'll probably be a conspiracy theory in that time as well um but what lou was actually getting at was the idea that maybe something used our dna to send a message and that would be a way of kind of ensuring that it, it can adapt to changing conditions as the as the years go on which i thought was absolutely fascinating it plays into a lot of well, I'm ancient aliens, I guess, but I, I know it's a lot more subtle than that. You know, we, we're not going to propose that all these things are, are as dramatic as Eric von Daniken kind of writes, but there seems to be some nugget of truth kind of mixed in uh, with all this stuff. Well, our friend Dave Smethurst, um, that was his main question and point, Dan. And he mentioned that uh, mainstream non-fringe scientists can't explain a lot of the apparent splicing of DNA code. Um, do you think Lou was saying our DNA has been modified? Was this the message on its own, the actual modification? Or do you think there might be more information hidden away within our DNA? This is purely speculation and opinion, Dan, but w- what would you think? Yeah, I mean, there, there seems to be some... The anomalous stops in our markers that kind of look like CRISPR cuts. If, if people are familiar with that technology that they use to do gene splicing in the world today, they can kind of chop and change little bits of it. Um, and we don't really know why they're there, but we also don't have any information as to why they are there. So we can't say either way. It could be a natural process that we don't know about. Um, but nature has, you know, RNA, DNA, a lot of us have spent the last few years learning about all this stuff because it came in relevant with the COVID vaccines. 
Um, so we're starting to see the different ways that nature makes life. And I mean, maybe, maybe even that process in itself was something that was, uh, I, I guess, bolstered by something. <laughs> interfered with potentially something encouraged nudged inter- intercepted influenced. yeah <laughs> something something like you that yeah. Again, eh? yeah yeah absolutely like you know when all the you see in a, a movie when all the teens have like a punch at a prom and another a kind of naughty kid walks up with the gin and opens the little bottle and just pours it into the non-alcoholic punch to spice it up a little bit i wonder if something like that kind of went along ah these guys need a little bit of a propping up or or something so it's, it's definitely an interesting one um I look forward to that. That is something where we really do need the backing and we need mainstream science involved to really kick that forward. I know we've got people like Gary Nolan and, and others who who are really serious scientists. And we spoke to Dr. Colm Kelleher and, and others who are involved on these different subjects and projects. But you need mainstream science en masse to be involved to really move things like that forward for, for me. It doesn't work with just a couple of people working on it because that's not how the message gets out there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, as part of that as well, Kurt did say that he, he asked Lou the places that we should be looking for evidence that you feel we're not, um, like archaeological investigation sites. And, and Lou spoke about uh, near-Earth celestial bodies like the moon, which I'm sure, uh, y- you know, sends some people <laughs> up the wall. Why do you think Lou's mentioning the moon? I just think it's a, I mean, it's a very interesting place. You, you know, they... they threw something into it and it rang like a bell for god knows how long which suggests that there's a lot of space inside and we keep finding these little things that are very curious about it um it's a pretty kind of safe place it's locked into a a particular side facing us at all times so you, you know you you could put something on that side and it might be protected from meteors and stuff like that do you think it's a natural satellite or do you think then that it's artificially do you think it's been put there by something else or someone else? Well, I, I don't think we need to be as the 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 idea that I read about it is that it's the remnants of a planet that hit us. If there were a species on that planet and they were kind of left over, then it kind of fits in both categories. I think you know it's not necessarily an intentional artificial satellite, but it is an artificial. You you, you see what I'm getting at. Um, yeah. but it, there are there are some interesting anomalies inside our earth that suggest some some big caverns um or big chunks of material that shouldn't be there and it seems to be the the core of that planet yeah we, we definitely have to do a moon episode at some point yeah there's something so. there definitely on that um anyone who has any suggestions for guests for an episode based on the moon then uh, not the episode won't be based on the actual moon itself. That would be very difficult to arrange. It was hard oh, enough to get excited then. Yeah, it was hard enough to get us both to London for a couple of days right <laughs> on the moon. Um, unless Elon Musk or or anyone is listening, they can arrange that. But no, it'll be a kind of moon based episode. That would be pretty cool. Dan, the next one I'm going to bring up uh, is probably quite a controversial one. I've seen a lot of uh, conversation off the back of it. Is the idea that there should be an amnesty? for for those who have been involved in any uap secrecy shall we use our friend uh, adam's wording from back in the day so there's end uap secrecy you'll see the hashtag online and a lot of people want you talk about hearings and bringing people to to justice and all that kind of stuff as well but i think for this to potentially move forward we're going to have to grant people that amnesty who have been involved in this in the past and like i've, I've said to you recently dan as well it's the people who, who kick-started this at the beginning aren't around anymore from the 40s, 50s, 60s. They're, they're largely, they've passed on or they're extremely old now. And those who have came on afterwards, I, I've said this again, rightly or wrongly, just carried on that work. Again, I'm not saying that was the right thing to do, but at this minute, we don't know whether it was right or not, depending on what kind of comes of all of this. So for me, I would be all on board with granting an amnesty no charges brought forward if it was going to help with the release of information. Um, I know Lou was all for that as well. He seemed it, it seemed a sensible and appropriate thing to do. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I think uh, an important set. Well, hold on, let me back up a bit. I, I popped the poll up, and we we had so many different responses. You know, some people hated the idea. They they would feel really betrayed by it um, because they've had some experiences in their lives which has given them trauma, and they've been treated terribly. 
and you know i hear them i totally get it um i i'm not sure blanket amnesty is the way to go i think it should be judged on a case-by-case basis for example let's think about blue himself um is is he someone that we would say was involved in the cover-up for a time I, I could see someone being able to a argue very, that very good point, yeah. in a, a yeah. secret program, right? Um, but he's come forward now and he's doing the right thing. And he's not just doing the right thing. He's out there doing the work to try and sow the seeds for the people of tomorrow to crack this and to embrace everything that comes from it. So for me, you know, I, I would absolutely give Lou amnesty, but I also don't think that we'd even need to consider amnesty for Lou because he's not in that super, super black program that we talk about that, you know, would have been going back 50, 60 years now. Um, the idea of ATIP was always to get it out and to spread the word about the issue and get policy written about it. Um, but the secret keepers, uh, and I use that term to kind of refer to the, the old, you, you know, whether it's in private industry or whatever, the 40s, 50s onwards, a lot of those will have invested in systems that were set up before they were around and those systems are abused. So we kind of need to, them to show us, hey, that's the system that was abused that allowed us to get away with this. So I think if people start coming forward and they have enough information to help us make sure it never happens again, I think there's a conversation to have amnesty for them. I think if people are drag kicking and screaming into Congress to testify and they give them a hard time, I'd say that they face the full weight of the law. Again, I still think there's a, a huge issue with this, and some will like this, some won't, that there may be good reason as to why some of this has been kept from the wider public. And that's that's not to say I wouldn't want to know still, but if you take Lou at his word and what Lou has said, um, they don't know exactly what's going on. They still don't know what what these things might be, where they might be from. You know, then there's there's an element of if Lou and Chris Mellon and Co found that out, you can't say that there's not the potential that even they would go, yeah, actually that that's a good reason to have kept that secret. So there's always that potential that there's there's been a good reason that it has been hidden from the public. And I'm not talking about, oh, it's for the military and the technology and for fighting wars. No doubt that would absolutely be a good reason for the military to do that. And that's not a good reason. But there may be some kind of public safety. You know, again, if there was, let's, let's go crazy scenario, but some Independence Day type thing on the horizon or, you know, something like that, that it would be best for people not to know. I'm just throwing that out there as a potential that well we we don't know that it's it's a possibility. Yeah, Lou, Lou uh, I think he did it in this interview, but he's definitely done it in in one in the past couple of weeks. Uh, he speaks about gorillas in a cage getting a key and and working their way out of the cage, and it always makes me think about well when that gorilla eventually gets out of that cage, there's going to be a bunch of people on the other side who can use tranquilizers, who can give the gorilla, you know, all the grapes and food that it wants, or they can just shoot it. And it all depends on how the gorilla is acting when it gets out of that cage. And when when he gave that example, I just thought, you know what? When, when we found these secrets, we were just kind of finishing up world wars and going into the Cold War. If something was ready to judge us at that moment, it wouldn't have judged kindly. And I could see why someone would think, oh, hold on, maybe if I kind of give it 60, 70 years and I hold this back and then let it trickle out, maybe we'll be a bit more of a a planetary body then instead of all thinking so locally. Yeah, and, and what, what people are you talking about giving us that time? Are you talking about like from a human aspect or something else watching? A bit of both. Because I'm just thinking again from the idea of something else watching, if, as has been alluded to in the past, that these things may experience time differently to us, then that might not even be something they have to consider because it could literally be hundreds of years or thousands of years yeah. that it wouldn't actually matter, that they're just waiting for, you know, you've okay, your atom bomb, nuclear bomb, those tests, we all go back to the 40s, um, the late 40s, when we knocked on the door of something else potentially. And maybe 70 years is literally still back at the start of them waiting, judging, testing, that's that's to be decided like you say if something was looking at us now with a human eye like we have we're not in the greatest shape or state to be 
introduced to the Galactic Federation of whatever it might be, uh, as others have come out in the recent past and and declared we're going to be invited to. Exactly. But then you look at things like, you know, we're mapping genomes, we're starting to realize what whale song means and how they communicate and how that culture is built. And we're doing the same things with species and systems and understanding how the Amazon affects, you know, things on the other side of the planet. I, I think that would be an arc that would be looked at as encouraging. So, you know, it, it gives me hope if that is the case. The pros and the cons are balancing out. I like yeah. that. Let's get through some of the listener suggestions, Dan, um, and I'm sure some more will come up as we go through. The first one uh, from MJ. MJ thought that Lou saying we are perhaps somewhere in the middle of the food chain was pretty epic. And Anna, also on that same uh, note, said that she would love to hear us talk about Lou alluding to the fact humans got a genetic bump that propelled us to be apex predators, but not to the top of the food chain, as Lou later clarified. Yeah, I mean, we we already discussed that second bit a little bit, but I I find the idea that the evolutionary process, you know, if if we figure out that there's an algorithm that evolution works through, there could be a little way to nudge that in a certain direction. I I think that's super, super interesting. And, you know, we're we're getting to the point where that we, we can do that because we have that kind of precision now, whether we're talking, you know, building atomic structures or layering materials and you know, just on the horizon, we have zero G labs and manufacturing labs when we start getting to space. And th- there's going to be some really interesting effects there. Uh, Simon, again, on that mentioned one of Lou's breadcrumbs seemed to be the idea that we as a species may have had some help in our evolution around 70,000 years ago. What did you make of those comments? For me, I mean, you'll know this probably. I'm going to assume, Dan, you're the more intelligent one of the two. Where were we? in our evolution 70,000 years ago, that we would have needed that bump? I mean, this is the debate, because we're discovering things now that are changing the archaeological archaeological story of of humanity. Um, we, We went from thinking that, you know, we, we were walking around as bipeds in communities and things like that, 5,000 years ago, maybe 10,000 years ago. Now that's moving to 100,000, 200,000. So it's actually looking like we were, we were civilized a lot further back. So that that figure that was hung out there by, by Lou was an interesting one um, because it lines up with some, some natural disasters. And it makes me wonder if something helped us get back on our feet. You think we got a bit of a knock, like a, like an ice age type event, and it was a case of they've got they've had a bit of a setback. Let's help them Perhaps. on their way again. Perhaps, and when when we look into history as well, we see um, a lot of stories of you know star people and so on and so forth. So it could just simply be that somewhere in our past, there's this incredible sci fi story waiting to be uncovered where we were already talking with all these different species, and some of them helped us. Maybe we have extra lives like a video game. We've talked about that sim simulation idea potentially yeah. before and that whole matrix thing or um and maybe you get those extra lives, but how many do you get? Uh Michael on the same uh, we have Michael, Mike, Mike and Mikey, I think, all got in touch <laughs> um on this again. So we've got that thing where so the same person just trying to be inconspicuous. Ah, <laughs> it's, do you know what? It's definitely not, unless they've signed up to Patreon three times in which case, thank you. <laughs> Uh, all of you um michael said i'm actually at the bronx zoo as i write this so lou's comment about zookeeper versus zoo inhabitant seems particularly relevant do you think there are particular facts that led lou to draw this conclusion that we are in the zoo obviously you've used that gorilla analogy or do you think he's spitballing based on the deep knowledge of the subject I, I think, I mean, I interpret it very loosely. I, I don't think that something's put these ethereal bars around planet Earth that, you know, our consciousness can't escape. You know, that's a whole different conversation, um, a whole four-hour episode probably. But in terms of we're in the middle of the food chain and something's messing with us, you, you can make an argument that they're keeping us captive in a certain way, you know? They, they're keeping us in a certain condition. Um but you could also make an argument that they're encouraging us to go in certain developmental directions, which again could be a kind of prison. I, I wonder where humanity would go if we didn't have those little nudges that inspired people like Jack Parsons to make a rocket engine in the desert and create NASA out of it. You know, 
It's a little bit of that Sim City idea that I suppose sometimes we think simulation maybe too literally, as in we are in some kind of computer simulation, as opposed to has someone set something up to see how it goes. Maybe yeah. expe- maybe more of an experiment. Again, you've got to use the term loosely and it, not it's... not too much how we would normally term an experiment. I suppose it's a good example of how our language. You, you know, our culture's influence in yeah. our language there. We're saying simulation because we live in the age of computers. You know, like yeah. 100 years ago, we would have been talking about dreams. It, it would have been just an entirely different thing. Yeah, and that, that was a really good point. Lou, Lou mentioned on this interview about the you know, the Vatican and the Roman shields and how that's how they described at the time, seeing these flying Roman shields in the sky. And it's the language of the time, and I'll use uh, Graham Rendell's you know, lexicon, it was the lexicon of the time that how you would describe something that age-old adage for i think it was on qi but there was no word for for blue back in the day so how would you describe it same with there was no word for tic tac so you would describe it as a cigar before cigar how would you describe it same with discs and saucers it was a shield because it looked like the shield that you had and it's the language of the time that can describe a lot of these objects and i think i wonder if we look back through the the years and if this is something the ai can potentially help with is it just the language of the time that's given us so many different description of these objects that maybe there's far less variation than we actually realize because it's just how they've been described at various different times yeah absolutely and i I think this is what tom delong is getting at when he says we should use ai to analyze ancient texts you know there's stuff in there that's super interesting um, I, I know some of those books are encoded with numbers and that can kind of come off a little conspiracy theorist, but it's really not. There, there are some religious books that are very upfront that there, there are kind of meanings hidden in the numbers and the way the sentences are structured. And, and there, there's real gracing them when you start, you know, reading about them and learning. Dan, just before we move on, I'm going to just mention to people, they're always asking how you can support the podcast. And just by listening does that, you're going to hear a quick advert for Manscaped, who are one of our sponsors for the podcast. You hear a couple of times a month. Uh, If you're on the Patreon or Apple Premium, then you don't hear the advert. And that's just a a benefit of being on those subscription services. I remove all of those out. If you aren't, then still thank you for listening. You've always got the option to skip these, but we would hope you, if you get the use out of it, listen to the advert. It's got a little bit of our humor in it as well. And also you can support us by buying something from one of the sponsors. So thanks for listening. We'll be back in just a minute. Folks, the holidays have come early this year as Manscaped have the gift that keeps on trimming. Santa's beard isn't so appealing when it's coming at your trousers and that's why Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, have you covered this holiday season. Now available in your country, join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use code ANDYUFO for 20% off and free shipping. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing orb deodorant, moisturiser and toner. This hygiene bundle also comes with a lovely pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers, perfect for those cold nights out when you're skywatching for UFOs. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother or your friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. I can't say enough about the new Manscaped cologne that's redefined. My stepson has been using that and he is loving it so far. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code andyufo at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping folks this holiday season with code andyufo clean up your orbs tic tacs or saucers and make santa proud this year okay dan we're back and our friend tim has got in touch with a few um of his own thoughts so Again, based on the occupants comment, this was one that I think really got people talking. I saw this on the Reddit forums, on Twitter, and on the YouTube comments as well. Now, number one, Tim says the occupants comment isn't definitive. Lou mentioned compelling evidence, but said the details around the facts are very murky. What did you take away from from Lou starting to talk about occupants? And I thought Kurt was very well placed, given that his use of language to clarify the question. And that's something that I've said before. I when I watch Kurt now for for kind of interview practice and techniques of my own, the way he can word a question again and again uh, in his use of language was really, really good here, I thought. Yeah, especially I, I think that's 
you know, could take some moment to to think, and I think that's exactly what he's doing. What what you and I will take you you know many weeks to do when we're doing an interview, we rephrase kind of questions and think yeah. of the best ways to ask them. That's him doing it live. Um, the the occupants thing was interesting because obviously on top of all this, we kind of have the idea that these bubbles are warping what we're seeing in the first place. So we can't necessarily rely on what we're seeing. There could be a little pareidolia there, uh, you, you know, where we're kind of seeing something that, you know, a face on Mars or something like that, which might be a face. I, I don't know. I haven't been, but I'm just kind of using it as an example. You um, haven't been? <laughs> no, I haven't been. Next week, okay. next yeah. next Saturday, I think I've got it organized for. We'll, we'll see, yeah. though. Yeah, something podcast like on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it made me wonder if Lou was talking about the turkey video that that we spoke about not too long ago um where a craft or sorry where something was filmed off the coast that looked like it could be a craft and it was there for a few nights and and if you look at some video video analysis it kind of looks like there are some occupants in the craft moving around and this was something michael had one of the michaels had also asked do you think lou <laughs> was talking about the pictures that show occupants it was the turkey ufo that we talked about on the kgra show a few weeks ago um uh, we don't know lou never really qualified much more of the statement i think that is one of those things that must get pretty close to that nda line that we all hate uh so much but yeah you, you've got to appreciate he's not going to go much more than that but given his answer i don't think you have to read into too much that it sounds pretty certain that they have some kind of photographic or or video evidence with a decent zoom on it that has shown some kind of occupant yeah i mean if there are windows on these things at all then we we know the equipment is now good enough that they can get HD zoomed in videos of these things. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Lou is privy to things that we aren't. And this is one of the reasons that I say something like the Tic Tac had nothing inside of it because it had no windows that were reported by anyone. So why would it have, if there was nothing inside of it, it wouldn't need windows. Yeah, as opposed to one of these objects having some kind of window. But then again, you you can use kind of sensor systems to see outside the craft. But again, that's that would be part of a conversation in one of those dudes where you're discussing, okay, how could they see out of the craft if it doesn't have windows? You know, we we those little nubs on the bottom of the tic tac could have been to see outside it for all we know. Do you know what? It's it's such a stupid thing for me to say, really, because given the technology we're talking about, I'm sure like the the lack of a window um, would be the the least thing that you'd have to be like questioning about how it worked <laughs> we've got we've got two-way mirrors don't we on our own end so i'm it, it sure we could have had I, I mean we we definitely can't make spaceships out of two-way mirrors so it, it's yeah. super advanced still even if we kind of get there you know yeah that i think that must be my first question then if, if one of these things ever lands like a tic tac and someone came out of it why are there no windows like you've got one <laughs> question andy for all humanity why no windows? Do you guys just... have Starbucks? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be the second, yeah. <laughs> Why no windows? What's a window? Ah, I ruined it. Um, so yeah, really good question from Tim. And you, you've got to say, while the comment from Lou wasn't definitive, the the easy option there would just be to answer, no, not that I'm aware of. So, And that's not to say they have seen something, but it must be something that they would, they're pretty certain looks like an occupant. Um, second point from Tim was Lou's further description and expansion regarding his somber or sobering comment continues to implicate that humans are not the apex here on Earth. The most interesting portion of this dialogue was when we po- when we he posted uh, posited sorry um, if we as a society might need to consider rewriting history what on earth could that mean so this is something we never mentioned before on this same line of conversation for me dan i'll give you a moment to collect your thoughts rather than me asking you first like when lou talks about we have to rewrite history i think there just comes a point like you say if these objects entities beings others whatever they might be or whatever they may be from have been involved with us throughout the thousands of millennia then there will have been probably various different points in our history that they got involved. And I don't, I, I don't even know if I want to say this, cause this might go like too out there conversation wise, but like, do you get to the point where, ah, how do I bring dinosaurs into this Dan? So I don't want to get proper Flintstones Jetsons crossover here, but do you know what I mean? Like how far do you start going back? That history isn't exactly right. And yeah, you know, yeah. 
that that's what Lou's kind of getting at here. That where we always cavemen, and he's not saying science is wrong, of course, but it it really does throw up a lot. If these things have interfered once, they would have probably done it before. And are we the first species that they did interfere with? Did they try with any other species, and it just never worked out, or is it a case of different species get their turn? You know, dinosaurs had their shot, then we came along. And we've got our shot just now. Yeah, I mean, before dinosaur, the, the oldest organism on Earth is a fungi. And those things were as big as the Empire State Building, probably bigger back then, you know? That's why the, mush- that's why the mushroom went to the party. <laughs> so he's a fungi. Uh, so yeah, no, it was a really interesting comment, the, the rewriting history stuff. I've, um, I've just looked up as well, because I think this is a really good example of something being messed with on an evolutionary level that we don't really think about in that way yet we're doing it and have done it um the mustard plant i I don't know if you know how many things come from the mustard plant but it was basically artificially selected to grow in certain ways when it mutated and we only replanted those certain things and from that we have uh kohurabi cauliflower kale turnips cabbage and broccoli all those things are from a mustard plant and we did that so there's a really good subtle example of how you know without even genetic engineering we were able to influence the development of another species into six other species that we just use for food yeah it's a really really good point and like you say it's we look at everything through very human eyes with this whole subject even the subject of ufos and what these things might be doing why they might be doing it but it's a really it's a fair idea that they're just we're just plants we're just fish it's just you're just another species that we've been genetically modified like you say we do it with so many things of our own for our, uh, generally they're for our own advantage though aren't they so again is that that somber sobering idea that our genetics have been modified for someone else's advantage yeah i, I mean you, you know i I've said before that my my school was a Catholic school and I was told that we started in a garden. For some reason, we assumed that we weren't part of the foliage, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. But before we get too deep, uh, we'll move on to Elle. Elle, thanks for getting in touch. I think this is the first time Elle might have left us a message. Uh, She says, I'm sure you'll cover this anyway, but um, Lou's follow-up to the somber, sober comment where he talks about what if everything we've been taught by teachers, parents, etc., um, about who we are isn't entirely accurate. I just wanted to mention that. So thank you. We've, we've kind of covered that there. Did you have anything more to add on that one, Dan? Yeah, I mean, just to give people a few things to go look at um, down that road, because that's kind of how I found my way into or back into this. Um, you, you know, when I was a kid, I was into UFOs and all the things that go bump in the night. Um, weird things happen, so I stopped giving us into it. And then I found ancient civilizations and kind of came back to it through that. And And when I say ancient civilizations, I'm talking about books that might not be in circulation due to certain organizations putting them in a giant library and hiding them away so i'd recommend people just go out search go search out the the book of thomas um and anything about the essenes or the gnostics or the Eleusinian mysteries sounds like a mouthful but it's really challenging and interesting stuff because it's the kind of stuff that the the church ignored to to grow their story no cheers thanks for the recommendations and people do appreciate those i'm getting more messages off folks uh week by week telling us that they've picked up something that one of us has recommended or talked about so that's nice um you're usually better going with dan's recommendations than my own uh mike another one of the mics uh it's the same sort of conversation around compelling footage um mike wants to know why do we think lou responded in this way was it because a he couldn't definitively describe uap occupants due to low quality evidence b relied too much on others hearsay and couldn't back up those stories with his own personal experience so he's getting at it as low hearing it from other people that he can't quite say was 100 percent c lacked the freedom to speak due to ndas or d didn't want to hurt his credibility by saying he saw a seven foot tall a praying mantis uh, ant lizard piloting a metal disc etc which which are all fair kind of points what would you lean towards more of those dan I, I'd probably go with that Lou's NDA is preventing him from showing yep. us the hard data, which would be classified data anyway. Plus, if he tells us there are photos of bodies, we're not talking about anything else forever then. Um, you, you know, we Lou, Lou's spoken about the five pillars and how each of them need to go at the same speed. The social media one can't fire ahead. It'll all topple over and it'll all go badly. If that conversation is to be had, it's ahead of us. 
I think there's also the idea that, say, for example, it was a piece of footage of a craft. Let's say it is the, the Turkey UFO or something like the Turkey footage, okay? And there is what appears to be beings inside of a pretty clear video. But maybe, again, because of where it was taken or the sensors it's taken with, and I know people don't like hearing that, or military sensors or military-grade equipment, but we're not allowed to see that. So the corroborating data wouldn't be there to back it up, and it would just be another piece of footage for people to say, oh, well, that could be anything. Do you know what? For all we know, it, it could literally be talking about the Turkey UFO, and maybe they had loads of American aircraft and sensors picking that up. But should they have been filming anything like that over Turkish waters, that would be something I'm sure the American military would be like, ah, we, we can't say we were there. We, we can't admit to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that that rubber duck UAP video that came out, I still laugh at that name. Um, the drone, yeah, the drone. Uh, it still looks like zero to me, and you, you know it, that's about its worth. Um, that that was the the locations of that were hidden from us, and we we know it was Tucson, which is near the border. And I wonder if maybe someone strayed over a bit of border that they weren't meant to, and that that's why that has to be hidden. I'm not sure, but that would be an example of something that would mean it would be classified or something like that you know yeah absolutely here's one from left field for you still from mike at the same mike this time do you think it's a red flag that people like linda moulton howe haven't interviewed lou elizondo yet is he too or is he just too busy to sit down with everyone on the ufology list Bit of column A, bit of column B, I think, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a really fair question. I mean, Linda's a, a huge name in this subject, literally. I mean, it's Linda Moulton Howe. It's a big name. But she's also interviewed a lot of people, um, many of them very credible, many of them completely anonymous sources with no verifiable background at all. Some of them are literally her reading a monologue from a piece of paper telling you it's uh, from a verifiable source. So... There is a lot of kind of grey area with with what Linda talks about, but given the subjects discussed, you can understand why. Um, we we know yeah. she she spoke to Tom, and we know that she sold him the material to get tested. So there's a relationship there, but whether Lou has spoken to her, you know what that relationship is like behind the scenes. I don't know, but all I'll say is that when TTSA said they were going into entertainment as a focus they they lost those people and i, I think that there's a reason for that you, you know we we don't really want to be mixing anything that potentially is just entertainment because linda Moulton house speaks about i remember spartan one and two and those stories sound awfully familiar to people like Corey good and things like that so we don't want to be mixing all those in together and i can understand if there's if there's some distance but a friendliness behind the scenes yeah sure um good point dan uh, Walker uh, again brings up but has a slightly different take o- on the comments the amount of breadcrumbs that Lou dropped would put Hansel and Gretel to shame I like that uh, <laughs> the evidence in DNA was big also Simon says the 70k or 70,000 year DNA leg up was very interesting um, I wonder if the NASA director's recent comments Bill Nelson who are we how did we get here how did we become as we are are related that's quite a nice little pickup from from Walker yeah, um, I, I mean, that comment was stellar. It came within only a day or two of Lou talking about it as well. Um, and, you know, more, more paranoid folk would think it was organized. <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, we get into that place in the conversation. So coincidentally, people are feeling a bit more comfortable opening up about certain things. Um, it, it's super intriguing. There, there's a great documentary called Fireball that is about how we view meteors and things like that and how the story changes as it's passed down through the ages. And it just goes to show that if, if say, for example, I'm just kind of grabbing one of the stories that are out there, that we came from Mars and there was a big nuclear explosion on Mars and a bunch of us left and went onto Earth and kind of developed on Earth, there's been enough time that we would have just forgotten that. The, the symbols that we see carved into the rock, you know, we, we wouldn't look at Mars in a spaceship. We call people that say they see spaceships in Egypt hieroglyphics crazy. Um, so, you know, it could be drawn on a wall somewhere and we we shrug and probably think it's a hoax or something like that. Um, but yeah, they, there's enough time that that story would have faded and it would become a kind of mythic symbol in, in our mythology. 
And those stories do exist. We have the flood stories. Where if you go look into those books I mentioned, like the Nag Hammadi texts, you'll see stories that have similarities to other religions around the world. So you start suspecting, hey, did something happen? And a bunch of people just interpret it in a, diff- in a bunch of different ways. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I kind of ranted there, but no, no, I liked it. It was, it was fair, and yeah, I, I think it's really easy to go full conspiracy territory when Lou comes out and says what he says, and then, like you say, a couple of days later, a guy who seems to have a big interest in UFOs and very open-minded, Bill Nelson, comes out and very deliberately uses the phrase because he has that. I think it's southern drawl, as people would describe it. You know, who are we? How did we get here? I'm, I, won't do, <laughs> I won't do the voice. Um, how did we become as we are? And it's really interesting timing. And even if they aren't related, this is someone who I would bet a decent amount of money that Bill Nelson and Lou have had chats. Um, given he said he's been briefed on the subject over the last couple of years, then you would hope Lou has been involved in those at some point, um, yeah. if not indirectly, potentially. It, it, um, it wouldn't surprise me to hear if Davis had briefed Nelson either. Um, you, you know, that's the level that Nelson was at in the past. He was on the Armed Services Committee. It would make sense for him to have had that. I, I wonder if, from Nelson's point of view, because NASA this week put out a call basically saying um, that when they announce life in the solar system or, you know, in the universe other than us, it's obviously going to be re- a real hard conversation. And we saw that with the the Venus announcement. A lot of people mm-hmm. celebrated. I was one of them. And then we kind of had to pull back a bit and kind of go, oh, yeah, I kind of see that. I've called that too soon. But it proved the point that we need to come up with some standards that need to be met so we can have this conversation when it happens. And because now Dad, they're very... Let, let me see. It's, it's an easy way to... T- it's a good way to test the water, though, isn't it? Let's put out uh, an announcement that might be something like life that's not going to turn out that way. But let, let's just see how people react. Let's see how the scientific communities react and how the you know the scientists or the, the scientists are part of the scientific community aren't they uh, you know the mainstream media how politicians how yeah. the general population react and uh, you know absolutely. what it, it was fine yeah it was um and you, you know you don't even need any kind of intentional maliciousness to do something like that scientists were gonna do that anyway and you know i can guarantee that if there's someone sat in a dark room trying to figure out if it's if they can now tell humanity that we're not alone in a in a calm manner they took some kind of umbrage from that and encouragement um but nasa nasa spends a lot of time looking at microbes so i wonder if bill nelson was maybe thinking about okay if we were developing in the swamps then an asteroid hit and there were some microbes on the asteroid that affected our evolution in in a way you could that you know i could change that sentence to aliens affected our evolution so it, it kind of fits Cool. Um, two more. Uh, Michael, who is the same Michael who got in touch earlier with another question, but I moved it just because of what we were talking about at the time. Um, he mentions again, Dan, what we talked about a little bit earlier, but um, he thinks Lou had alluded to an archaeological find on the moon and um, that's worth further questioning. I think Lou had talked about various potential archaeological finds. Bob Lazar in the past talked about archaeological discoveries. Am I right in saying that in the Secret Machines books, Dan? That I still haven't read slash listened to an audiobook. There are archaeological movies. finds. Yeah, I, I would rather they came along to help me out. <laughs> I think they'd be great movies as well. I, you know, just basically imagine uh, the Da Vinci Code, but with UFO lore instead. Nice. It'd be fun. So, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> um, dogs or cats? No, it was um, archaeological find on the moon. And I think I was just mentioning that I think secret machines talk about archaeological oh, discoveries yes, of absolutely. craft as well. Yeah, so yeah, they, it's they a theme that's gone tablets, through different aspects. Um, with kind of instructions on for telepathic interaction between humans and people that touch them seem to kind of have those powers bumped up. Um, the tablets are spoken about as radioactive as well, which was, you know, it's interesting. Whether that's one of the true breadcrumbs that are in the books, who knows? Yeah, no, really good point. Do you think, Dan, if we go up to the moon and if we've done a proper independent, say Elon Musk, who obviously doesn't care about governments and all that kind of stuff, the guy's richer than all the governments put together now. Um, If he went up with a live GoPro on his head, other camera companies are available, and he went to the dark side of the moon, beautiful 4k filming and flew about do you think he's going to see anything or film anything interesting 
I think so. They, there are some structures on the moon that, that bear some investigation. There's one that kind of seems to be tall and thin and cast a very long shadow. That's the moon monolith that people talk about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a natural formation, that's wicked cool. And they, there's only one of them on the moon, it seems. So yeah, it'd be cool to look at. Um, some people on YouTube, um, Uncharted X and Bright Insight recently went to Egypt and with the new smartphones, they were able to use the LiDAR scanners on apps to actually make 3D scans of all of the objects and stuff like that there. And and it means for the first time, they've been able to show properly what people mean when they say the blocks on the pyramid are so tight that you can't fit a sheet of paper in between them. You know, it, they're almost invisible and you haven't really been able to capture that data up until now. So the fact that you can do that with a smartphone, all we need is for space tourism to kick off. And this kind of stuff is going to start. Um, a, a lot of, I think... What was the company called? I want to say Hawkeye 360. It might be wrong. No, Bob Bob McGuire is involved with the company. And okay. basically the idea is to LiDAR scan the whole planet um, to get some really intricate ideas of the geometry of Earth. And this is how we're finding, you know, they found an eight mile wall in the Amazon that had drawings all over it. And it was right in front of us for all these years. And we just didn't see it until we started doing this. Um, so it makes you think what else we're going to find. And with space tourism becoming more accessible, we probably are going to see people start putting satellites around the moon to scan that thing and just see it in depth. You, you know, it, it's going to be like, do you remember we had that picture of Pluto where we saw it had kind of a heart on the side? Mm-hmm. I, I literally had to go have my tattoo updated on my back when when that came out because it looks so different to what we had for, you, you know, 34 years prior. I, it, we stand, we're, we're on the cusp of doing that with just the moon and space in general, I think. I think the best way to scan the planet would be some kind of black triangular craft, personally, but yeah, that's just uh, from our, our friend Chris uh, Miller. There's a very cool video of um, a company that actually does it, and they send drones out to scan, and the person has been stood on a beach when the drone's flying over them, and it's kind of scanning with these green layers, lasers, and I'm telling you, if you didn't know these things existed and were drones, you would report that as a genuine UFO. Amazing. Dan, the last one is from Tara. Tara's been a long-time supporter of the podcast. She goes out cycling while she listens to it. Um, So hi to Tara. Very cool. And it's not so much of a question, but a statement, and I thought it'd be a nice way to kind of round it off. Tara mentioned uh, it was a big statement, but I've, I've narrowed it down to just the last part. She was talking about, you know, the outsiders who should be involved in the subject. And she mentions Neil deGrasse Tyson. And she says, I think he's smart as hell, although a little reluctant to jump on the alien bandwagon. He, of all people, should be privy to what's going on. I think if he was in the loop, he'd be taking a much different stance on the subject. I'm just blown away because I think Lou Elizondo just let us all know the somber truth. We are not natural. We didn't mysteriously evolve into the most complicated species on the planet. And something's watching us. Something is here. He was telling us there is way more to this than a silver disc in the sky, way more than someone from another planet might be visiting us, way more to everything. I could go on. Other areas were compelling too. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? It plugs right in with the one thing that I had left that I wanted to talk about. Awesome. Asked Lou. Potentially, have there been biological samples recovered from craft? Then it follows up with, let's rephrase that question. Have there been potentially biological samples received, recovered? And this is Lou. And he says, yes, I'm not going to expand anymore. So Kurt says, right, okay, let's forget about the craft. And Lou says, I'm being careful when I say that. I'm being purposely very open and vague at the same time. What does that mean? It means what it means. To me... I keep thinking of humans, the human body itself, as the secret machine, as some kind of thing constructed by some force or by whether that's life, whether it's the evolutionary process that was compelled to create one of the two. So I'm starting to wonder if these things are so far advanced that what we think of as computers and what we think of as biology aren't just one and the same. Yeah, and I think we talked about this at the weekend in London about uh, in War of the Worlds, the the TV series that's on Disney Plus, that the 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 robot dogs they send down when they open them up, they've got like living tissue inside of them as well, so they are biological, but from the outside they look like machines. They fire they fire guns, but it's like living tissue inside of it as well. So pretty pretty somber to realize, right? If that's the case, yeah, but for me just personally really exciting as well and 
this podcast when that day comes doesn't stop because we've got an answer because i think at that point is when i'm going to have a whole lot more questions as well to be honest yeah and a lot more guests to interview as well hopefully from other planets too <laughs> um dan thank you very much for your time we've gone almost the hour so thank you very much we have yeah this was great thank you and thank you for for the weekend as well it was uh, fantastic you make it sound so romantic. Um, and thanks to, <laughs> thanks to Vinny, Graham and Dave for that too. Um, this week, folks, uh, our interview with Graham Rendell is out on the Foo Fighters of World War II. Make sure you check that one out. It was excellent. The KGRA shows are available, of course, over at KGRA YouTube or Facebook, but also they are being uploaded as a back catalogue a few weeks after on our own channels too if you've not signed up to the youtube channel yet please check that one out subscribe to it we're almost at four and a half thousand subscribers on there too so we're, wow. we're trying to get as That's much the fast. comment thank yeah, you yeah. dan's doing a great job of uploading the older content onto there as well for people who are just youtubers and we know people like that and they like to stick to there so thank you very much in the coming weeks we've got christopher plain in the next day or so from the debrief he just had a very interesting appearance on unidentified celebrity review he's coming on to the podcast i have you'll hear this for the first time right now john ramirez who was on with sean rash is going to be on mid mid-november i've just confirmed a date with him this morning as we speak and he is on project unity's channel going through a recent presentation he done and then off the back of that i think we are going to be the next interview uh, which will be really really interesting too on top of that plenty more to come this month the listener call-in slots are open right now for patreons and apple premium subscribers and then in the next day or so i'll open them up to everyone else as well they're going to be getting recorded later this week friday saturday sunday I, I have a friend who has a friend in Malaysia who is going to call in with some Malaysian UFO lore and questions for Ooh. us, which I think is cool because we haven't heard from Malaysia much. So uh, so I look forward nice. to that. He's a fellow Dan, so uh, I look forward to having him on for a call in. That'll make it nice and easy. But again, as always, folks, one last thing I will ask. If you are on any podcast platform, particularly Apple, please do take two seconds to leave us a five-star review because it makes a massive difference to the algorithm of the podcast. It gets us up the Apple charts and keeps the podcast out there for other people to find as well. And if you do leave that five-star review, if you can take another 30 seconds and leave us a comment. Someone left a Welsh um, comment recently, Dan, and the, we'll the title, have to have so a look. you'll have to check Amazing. that one out. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that. So thank you to everyone who's listened, and we'll speak to you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.
Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes. Consider-